channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to The Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Klass with my good friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we are going to be talking about the death of standard cost accounting. Hey Ron, how's it going? Great, Ed. What a great week. Yes, fantastic week. And a couple things before we get started on our show today. We, you and I were together for, the, for well, I guess, two and a half days, let's call it, at the Verisage Symposium. I've officially named it that, by the way. I don't know if you're aware, but I've, I've decided no, you're going to go with the symposium. Uh, for those of you uh, unaware, we have a biennial meeting where the institute, the Verisage Institute that Ron started, gathers together all of the fellows and various guests for a two-day, and I'm uh, confab, but uh, it's really, we should call it a symposium, because symposium, Ron, I don't know if you're aware of this, from a Greek word meaning to drink together. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It was, Shout out to Matt Toll. <laughs> yeah, well, and we also have, and, and there was a, the lead person in this case, our, our own Dan Morris, who we've had on the show previously, the person who headed it, his name was the Symposiarch. That was the the person who headed the symposium. And back in Greek times, Ron, they, they would the Symposiarch was the person to decide how much to cut the wine, because you know the wine back in ancient times was not exactly the same wine that we have today, and you know let's call it drinkable right out of the chute, so to speak. Right. But. It also had different various levels of alcohol in it, and the symposiarch, based on the, the the volatility and level of the conversation that was taking place, would decide how much to increase or decrease the alcohol volume in the wine. So you can only imagine how some of those turned out. If the symposiarch was trying, well, I mean, you know, in a way, you think about it right. What they were trying to do is just you know keep everybody on kind of nice even buzz. You know, the little just enough alcohol for creativity to kick in, but not enough for fisticuffs to break out. I suppose. Right, right. But uh, but that's what it was. It was a fantastic uh, symposium meeting with with all of the Verisage fellows. There were some unbelievable takeaways. Does anything jump out at you, Ron? A takeaway from that? Oh wow, lots did. I mean. I, you know, Paul Kennedy's presentation about he's an accountant and a chartered accounting firm in England and how he just, he does, he, when people ask him, how many customers do you have? He says, I don't have any customers. He put, in other words, as an, as an accountant, he puts every customer at risk every year. He puts the entire relationship at risk. Should we renew? And, and I just think it's brilliant. I, I equate it to renewing your vows. 
I, I, I just thought that blew people away. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. And also, also Tim Williams had some fantastic things to say on on just his observations on the billable hour and in the in the marketing or the I should say the advertising space. But but my takeaway from him his was, and I really do do sort of like this because I think it it really is the the, the perfect in effect metaphor for this. You know, a lot of people try to classify their customers in different sizes, right? And he had a he had a, a metaphor that says you should use T-shirt sizes, yeah, in order to to classify them. And I think that works perfect for just about every business, right? Extra small, small, medium, large, extra large, double X. Right. And, and when you really think about it, that's great because that that can scale to any size business that you have, right? So you don't have to classify your customers like everybody else in your industry per se, but how what, what it me- is meaningful to your business. So one person's medium might be a different person's extra large, but who cares? Yep. Right? Because it's meaningful as a metaphor to within the organization. So that was that was my key takeaway. I, and and perhaps later on, Ron, we should consider just doing a show from all, all of our key takeaways on fr- from that uh, that that session with everyone. But what we would like to say is that that we want to thank those fellows that traveled, some from as far away as Australia, John Chisholm and others for for being there, Matthew Toll. Paul Kennedy came in, as you said, from the UK. Uh, what other countries? We, we, no, no one from New Zealand. Uh, we did Canada. have Canada, some folks from yep. Canada. So the yep. English-speaking world was well represented at the at the at the at the meeting, so we're really thrilled to have that in in lovely downtown Boston. And again, a shout out to Dan Morris for for putting all that together. And to Chris Marston at Exemplar for oh, how could I forget? For <laughs> and he was actually yeah. the symposiarch the first night, and he had some really nice wine. <laughs> yeah, he did, <laughs> as you would expect. <laughs> and so, uh, other exciting piece of news, Ed. Starting next week, folks, the Soul of Enterprise will be simulcasted on Voice America's Variety Channel. So we'll be running on two separate channels at the same time and, and uh, on demand on both on both places. So I'm really excited about that, Ed. I am too. And I think that I'm going to take that as a nod from our executive producer, Robert Cellino, that he likes it when I go off on tangents. That's, that's, <laughs> yes, I think I'd that's like his, his, yeah, his way of saying, Ed, keep talking about other stuff that like everybody's kind of wacky about. So just right, go right. for it. So. <laughs> and thank you to uh, not only Robert, but also Jeff Spinardi too, for, for doing that. Uh, I think that's going to be a real, uh, real boost. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. We are. We are looking forward. Well, let's get on to today's topic, uh, Ron. And I, and interestingly enough, last week's show we did about the famous last words, right? And uh, we're we're now going to talk about the death of cost of standard cost accounting. So I think we we we've, we've we've decided that our theme for October is kind of like morbid. <laughs> 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 well, actually, Ed, last week we did how to be a price searcher, not a price. Oh, right, right, right. So right, we right. we did get some pricing in there, but yep. now this week we are kind of back to macabre. Back, yeah, back <laughs> to the macabre. We're gonna, yeah, and we have Halloween, of course, coming up next week. So, uh, but but next week we have a free rider Friday. So I don't know if we'll we'll get to get to get too much into death. But well, first of all, Ron, this you had mentioned to me just before we went on the air that you wrote a post about. This, which I'm sure we'll include in this at the show notes, when you were one of the featured bloggers at LinkedIn on the death of cost accounting, and you said it got an incredible number of views, right? 
Yeah, it was well read and, and commented on because I provoc like we titled this show. We titled the show "The Death of Cost Accounting," and I I think I, that title was something like "Cost Accounting R.I.P." or something. And I did it to deliberately pro be provocative. I wasn't saying that cost accounting was dead or that nobody was going to look at costs or anything like that. And so, technically, Ed, we do like you said at the opening. This is the death of standard cost accounting, but. I do believe that cost accounting is on the wane and and needs to be, and and I guess it's just summed up. You know, it's 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 one of these apocryphal stories, but I think it it, it teaches such a good lesson. There's an immigrant tailor, you know, comes to this country with nothing but the clothes on his back, and he opens up a shop, and you know, he has some kids, and one day, as one of his his son came by to. Uh, to visit him and he notices two cigar boxes sitting next to the cash register one was labeled paid bills the other was unpaid bills and he starts chiding his dad about hey this is a pretty unsophisticated way to to you know <laughs> run your business and keep your books and the father lovingly puts his arm around his son and he says you know when i came to this country i had nothing i only had the clothes on my back he says now i have a home a car good business good health, a daughter who's a college professor, another one who's an engineer, and a son who was real, who's not really too sharp as an accountant. <laughs> he said, when I add up all my blessings and subtract the clothes on my back, what remains is my profit. <laughs> and <laughs> I think there's a ton of wisdom in that, Ed. Yep. That is beautiful, a beautiful story, Re really, truly is. So, first of all, what's some, maybe some of the, the, the history of this? Where the, now, why is the, even the word cost accounting in there? Why the modifier cost as opposed to just accounting? What's, what's different about cost accounting as opposed to just accounting? Right. Well, cost accounting kind of dates back to the, the era of the railroads, actually. Um, and it was engineers, not accountants, who developed cost accounting to you know track the cost of things and then allocate the cost and the, it's the allocation where you get the standard cost accounting label but it was really the DuPont return on investment formula you know the ROI formula mm -hmm. that really kind of gave that brought in the sales and then it brought in that you could measure different uh, you know P&L centers if you will you and I would call them silos but um, right you know and and then um, in particular, a guy named William Patton, uh, who was probably one of the earliest and most influential accounting, cost accounting academics, he wrote a, a treatise in 1922, and, and here's what he has, how he described uh, cost accounting's chief activity. He said, the essential basis for the work of the cost accountant is the postulate that, the, get this, Ed, that the value of any commodity service or condition utilized in production passes over into the object or product for which the original item was expended and attaches to the result, giving it value. In other words, as we, as, as a car moves through a factory or a widget moves through a factory and we assign costs to it, labor costs, direct material costs, you know, part of the lighting costs, right, and all of that, then that, that's what's growing in value. And this is how cost accounting accountants are taught you know you start with raw materials at one end of the factory they go through work and process and they come out finished goods and as they get cost assigned to them they grow in value well that's crazy as we've talked before on the show with the subjective theory of value that consumers don't buy a bundle of of, of assigned costs they buy a finished product and 
Luckily, I learned that this William Patton gentleman repudiated his earlier statement in 1970 at a conference. He said, he, he said the basic difficulty with the idea that cost dollars attach like barnacles to the physical flow of materials is at odds with the actual process of valuation in a free competitive market. Customer does not buy a handful of assigned costs. He basically was articulating this, the the subjective theory of value. But, you know, the cost accounting mentality, and since it's still being taught to accountants, accountants tend to foist it on to their customers. And I think it does a lot of damage. Yeah, interesting that he repudiated his own work and it, 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 to to back off from it. And I think that's that's really telling. I, I will say this though, you know, I, I I spent the better part of today with my daughter Kara, whose birthday was in in her school, and one of the things that I I, I recognize about this, and I've actually told the story in a number of occasions, that you know, schools since they came about during the advent of the the the, the factory resemble yep. factories. Yes, they do. Right, and it, it's almost like that. It, it, it's it, let me let me say this: it's better now than it was when I was in school because they do even as young as first grade switch classrooms and they go different places. But you know, I can I can remember in my class that it was all you know we, we, we there was one 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 classroom that we were in the whole time, and I can re- even remember that the art teacher would come to our classroom rather than us go a, a different mm. place and i think that's changed now but but you really and, and it was it, the, my building was a very slow moving factory you I mean you went in at, at kindergarten first grade you moved slowly down the hallway you know then you went upstairs then <laughs> the, the bells rang the, right the, the bells right. rang you went upstairs and then you came back the other way and i, I went to catholic school so you left at the left at the top at eighth grade and it was an eight-year process to get you in and out of there and um, and, and, the and, they, and they were assigning costs the whole way <laughs> <laughs> and the whole summer vacation was to get the kids back out on the farm. Right, right. So, you know, so yeah, it, it's really funny. I was just reading a book um, where they talked about uh, the Google founders were Montessori educated. Mm. And that explains a lot of their questioning and how they work and, and they're just how open and free they are. They want people to move around and then interact and have chance meetings. And, you know, unfortunately, what Montessori, Montessori only goes to like the first or second grade, right? It's, it's not a... Yeah, there are there are other schools that do it do it uh, larger, but yeah, for the most part, after first or second grade, people people ha- in general tend to put their kids back in a, a traditional school system. But uh, anyway, I think that's a, again another subject for an, another show. But we are up against a break here, folks, and we want to remind you that you can visit our website at thesoulofenterprise.com. Lots of information out there, including show notes, links to our book, which is also entitled "The Soul of Enterprise: Dialogues on Business with the Knowledge." economy. We had a big spike in sales the last couple of weeks. We want to thank you guys for that. So please keep the, the sales coming. So just starting right now, I want to let you know, it makes an excellent Christmas gift. But uh, for now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. 
We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and please remember that hashtag folks hashtag ask tsoe we do respond to every hashtag that we're tagged in whether it's on the air or via a, a, an at reply on Twitter, so we'd love to hear from you. So please use the ask or hashtag AskTSOE Twitter handle, um, and we would love to hear from your questions. So, Ron, in um, I know you're a big fan of, of Tom Nagel and Reed Holden, and that in, they have their famous book, which is, I, I think, one of the best ever written on the subject of pricing, the strategy and tactics of pricing. And they, they really indict cost accounting in a big way, don't they? They do. You know, the problem with cost accounting is it in most industries, it's impossible to de- determine a product's unit cost before determining its price. Why is that? Because, well, unit costs change with volume, <laughs> right? So yeah. if you make 100,000 cars, the unit cost by, based on cost allocation would be much different than if you make 200,000 cars. And, and this is a fundamental problem. I mean, the volume actually is a moving target. And since you don't know, you're, you're making enormous assumptions, right, about uh, how much it really does cost you to produce something. And this was one of the reasons, Ed, that in 1987, two guys, H. Thomas Johnson and, and Robert Kaplan, wrote a book called Relevance Lost, The Rise and Fall of Management Accounting. And it was really an indictment of um, internal management accounting uh, becoming more like external, you know, gap financial accounting that investors read, and it wasn't very useful to managers for making decisions internally. And that book, The Rise and Fall of Management Accounting, which, by the way, is on Harvard's list of the the best 12 business books ever written, uh, launched the activity-based costing movement. Mm. So ABC is actually far more sophisticated than just standard cost accounting because it always asks, does this process have to be done? In other words, it doesn't just assume that we have to do this and then we'll just allocate cost based on the activity. It says, do we need to do this at all? So it does bring in 
a, a question or maybe a theory that you can use to determine uh, whether or not you know you even need to do something. And that's what makes ABC more useful. But I still have a problem with ABC because I think that uh, even though traditional cost accounting makes the wrong assumption, I think ABC can too because, and Peter Drucker pointed this out, Ed, and he said, in most service industries, there's only really one cost, and it's that of the total system, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You think about starting a professional firm, you've got offices, maybe you've got some labor, uh, but you've got this fixed cost over any given time period. So the distinction between fixed and variable costs is much less important in that environment. And what you really need to look at is yield, right? Because, you know, he gives the example of banks trying to use ABC. But in a bank, you know, the cost is there. The entire cost is there to serve the customer in the various areas, right? Loans, savings, investments, whatever it might be. And what you really need to worry about more is the yield and we would say the value to the customer. And is this really all, Ron, a, a derivation in a way of the um, Hayekian concept that you can't distinguish the value of of a, of a meal in a restaurant between the chef and the guy who sweeps the floor, that they're inextricable to from a customer uh, standpoint? Is that, is that Do you think it really derives from that? I, I think that's certainly part of it, Ed, because it, it cost accounting atomizes things, right? Mm -hmm. It breaks everything down. And I, I mean, think about what you're doing with, say, a timesheet. You're running a P&L essentially on every six minute or however many minutes you keep your unit in every hour or whatever it'd be like you know it, we're the end of the quarter you know is the end third of the day or something and it's just it doesn't take into account that this is an interdependent system and everything just can't be atomized like that but but I guess it's just our human nature to want to to want to to categorize and allocate things I suppose right and this this is just accounting's way of of doing that but you're right in a sense wouldn't we wouldn't we all just be better off if instead of worrying so much about what happened and how we spent money in the past we we did look toward the future at what what would make the inter interdependent system more functional and better on a go forward basis. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Another example that Drucker gives is, you know, retailers, they, they buy shelf space. And then, of course, the, the, the companies, you know, they, they buy that shelf space to, you know, at the eye level, I guess, Pampers pays more for that shelf space and at the bottom level or whatever. Uh, but, but what the internal company has to worry about is not so much the cost of allocating that shelf space, but the yield from it based on the value to the supplier. And, and I think that's what cost accounting does. It, it focuses us internally. It's like so many other yes. things that we talk about on this show. And it's so much easier to count the bottles than it is to worry or describe uh, the wine. <laughs> and, yep. and, that's, and, and we can also spend an enormous amount of resources on cost accounting. I mean, an ABC project is, is quite a complex undertaking. And I'm questioning its value. I'm questioning its ROI. Yes, it can help you make better decisions, but at what cost? It's not free. You know, there's no such thing as a free statistic. Yeah. And to do to do these projects is enormously it sucks up a lot of executive talent that I think is better spent focusing on how do we create more value. 
Well, and that's the thing, Ron, is, and I've, I've had, had this conversation with many folks in my career is, okay, so yes, we're, there, there is no such thing as a free lunch. And what you're doing when you're deciding on whatever costing mechanism that you're going to do is that you're creating additional added costs in some way. And the argument goes, well, but it's going to help me make better decisions in the future. And I'm like, I, 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 well, unless, only if your theory is that the future is like the past plus 10%, yeah. right? That, or, or whatever, or, pl- or plus 5% or 2%. But that, that's, that's you, your theory of the future has to be some straight line derivation of the past. And it, that doesn't even pass the sniff test. Right. 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 So, and I, I, you know, did ask a question until a little bit of tail out of school in a, in a, in a meeting about two years ago, someone was, was talking about an ROI tool that was being imposed. It has since gone by the wayside, which is a good thing, but I did ask the question. So did anyone do the ROI on the ROI tool? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, but, but here's the thing, you know what the response was? That just blank stares and go, well, Ed, what, well, why did you need to do that? Right? I'm like, well, you, you're the one who came up with the ROI. So what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Could, couldn't, I, couldn't I ask that question of what I'm proposing here? To why should I put it through the ROI tool? Can I ask that question? Oh, no. because th- So there, in other words, there, ha- there had to be some... Um, and we use a real uh, philosophical phrase here, so sorry about this. A priori mm-hmm. belief, i.e., faith, right? That the cost accounting tool, that the, that the, this ROI tool wa- was the right thing, right, right, right. And it was assumed. Assume it. it assume the ROI tool is correct. Well, but is that a valid assumption? <laughs> and you're not allowed to question it. Honestly, you're not because people look at you. Trust me, they looked at me like I had 12 heads. I bet. I, which is why good <laughs> questions are so transformational because they can get you to you know, see something in a different light. Um, the, the other thing, Ed, and, and you know, we talk about, we've talked about airline pricing on this show and we talked about hotel pricing a little bit with uh, Bob Cross. And you know, none of those industries uh, do cost accounting. And I tell people that, and they, oh, but they're not profitable. Okay, hotels are profitable. Airlines might not be, but that's for a host of other reasons. But hotels and cruise ships that don't do cost accounting, they're profitable uh, because they spend more time thinking about yield, customer experience. Um, Disney is certainly profitable, and they don't do a whole heck of a lot of cost accounting, but they do do a lot of great pricing. Uh, if we have time, we'll, we'll talk about an example. But What's even more fascinating, and for the accountants out there, this just should blow your mind. There's a book by H. Thomas Johnson. He's the one that wrote the book that started the ABC movement, the activity-based costing movement. And it's called Profit Beyond Measure. And somebody came up to him at a conference, Ed, and you can just imagine how this would happen, and said to him, have you ever studied Toyota? Because they don't use standard cost accounting. And now H. Thomas Johnson is an accounting professor. He's a PhD, I think, at the University of Oregon. And he looked at this guy and he said, no way, that can't be true. And the guy said, you should go check him out. And he did. He spent five years, I think, roaming around Toyota. And he wrote a book called Profit Beyond Measure, which is in my best all-time you know, dozen business books. And it's a seminal work because... He said, boy, did I learn that no, Toyota doesn't, never has used a standard cost accounting 
system, never in their entire history. Innovative company, one of the world's largest car companies, and one of its most profitable in terms of you know that size, and they don't use a standard cost accounting system. And a lot of people get confused about this. And they say, well, wait a minute. Toyota's got to know its costs. He said, of course. He says, none of my comments are meant to imply that Toyota doesn't have an accounting and production planning information system. Of course they do. But he says the difference is the information from those systems is not allowed to influence operational decisions. And that's a key point. They don't, in other words, when they build a car, everything's up for grabs. It's not like what you said, you know, it's the same as last year plus 10%. It's mm-hmm. not that at all. It's like maybe we could find out a, be- a better way to do something. Because as Henry Ford said, yeah, we can track our costs, but nobody knows what a cost should be. And when that you is go a in with a profound statement, it, it is. And when you go in with that attitude, it can really <laughs> drive an enormous amount of of not just cost savings, but also value to the customer because you're keeping your eye on that. And then that is what's driving the costs. And when I learned that, that just turned my world upside down. That that should send shockwaves through every accountant on the planet. <laughs> and And I say that to audiences and they give me a blank stare. Why do you think the blank stare, Ron? Why? Why is that? Are they are they just not comprehending it, or they is it is it a backwards bicycle moment, or or what? What's the situation? It's a backwards bicycle moment, but it's also Ed. I think they're over invested in cost accounting. I mean, that's a huge part of their knowledge base, mm. right? And that's just hard to throw away. I mean, if if you know you thought bloodletting was effective as a doctor, and then somebody comes along and tells you it's not, um, it's going to be hard to give that up. Yeah. What is, the, what is the the quote? Lincoln Steffens, I believe it is. It's very hard to convince a, a, a man when his livelihood depends on it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, folks, uh, you, there's no way we can do this topic justice on just one show. We could do a five-part show on this. But if you have an interest in this, please go out and get Profit Beyond Measure H by H. Thomas Johnson. And that's another guy, too. Uh, we'll, we'll post the book up on the show notes, and uh, maybe I'll give you some synopsis of it. But uh, it's a fantastic book, and I think a seminal work that every accountant or just every business person should read. Well, thanks for that t- tip, Ron. And we're up against our second break here, but we want to remind you that you can reach it as hashtag AskTSOE, and we will monitor that live during the show. We'll go take a quick look at it right after or during this break and see if anyone's got any questions for us. But you can always visit thesoulofenterprise.com. We want you to keep those uh, reviews of the book on Amazon as well as the iTunes reviews uh, of, of the show on uh, happening because they, those are like gold to us. Those are our currency. But right now, we want you to hear from our sponsor, Zamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort? and do it faster. What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? 
you can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's Azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're doing the death of cost accounting and like to remind you that you can contact ed or myself at ask TSOE at verisage.com and also check out the soul of enterprise.com. We will have full show notes and we'll have links to uh, the articles and books that we've talked about today. So, Ed, we got a question from BJ that I thought was pretty interesting. Okay, fire away. Um, it was, uh, he said, thoughts on membership models and value pricing and the law of diminishing returns. Subscription payments feel secure, but. <laughs> thought, thought, thought. So, yeah. I, you're the subscription expert being in the software uh, game, so I thought I'd give that one to you. Interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, I had almost this exact question in, internally inside Sage this, this, uh, this week, too. So thanks, BJ, first of all, for, for asking the question and, and using the hashtag out there. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, first of all. I mean, and, and I've, it, it's various terms for this. I mean, I started out by calling them for professional firms service level agreements. And then somebody during a class asked me if we're supposed to be moving off of, of selling of services and instead selling knowledge, uh, why are you calling them service level agreements? And I said, Cindy, that was her name. I said, great point. <laughs> they shouldn't be service level agreements. So I think on the spot, I made up a thing called access level agreement, and that has stuck for quite some time. So now I talk about it as access level agreements. But it's really, it's really like, in a sense, a gym membership. Or let me back off. Gym memberships are not because what they're trying to do is they, they sell you a, a membership for a price and then they break it up into a three-year payment. And it's very hard to get out of because what you're doing is you're buying, you're buying the membership and then really paying it off over time. Um, so I, I, I'm not a big fan of that model. I'm not a big fan of locking people in for a long term because that, to me, feels kind of like subterfuge a little bit. You know, if, if I'm happy with, with you and what you're doing, I'm happy to pay you on a monthly basis or annual basis even or even quarterly or however you want to structure the payments. But I, the, the, the term to get out shouldn't be any longer than the term for a payment, in my opinion, right? Now, there's lots of business models, I think, that are all about just locking people in. I'm just not a big fan. I don't think that's right. Right. But – uh, but I am a huge fan of the of the concept of a a monthly type subscription 
because I do think that that it, it, it's you know sleep work or whatever you want to call it that y- it can roll in now. Uh, the subscription payments are certainly secure, and I think what he means by secure is that uh, once they get started, there might be people who forget about it or that they're, they're, that you, they're constantly going to pay it, uh, and that's true. But you you are going to get you do allow people to get out if you're doing what I'm saying, which is get out within a short period of time. Uh, well, to me, all that does is challenge you to continue to provide uh, a, a great experience for your customer. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, so I, I think that's, th- that's, a, that's a great thing to do. And I think that, that uh, it, it's helpful. Now, uh, caveats aside, it, we, we do talk about this on some of our pricing shows, Ron. I think you should always offer three, at least three different options for people. And in, in a sense, I think you should offer a hidden fourth option. And just let me describe that, which is define what people will get if they do not go on a plan with you. In other words, if they want to, if they just want to call you or have access to you ad hoc, you should ha- you should have a a no plan plan that specifies what's going to happen there. And I think that is the the other the other key to that whole uh, subscription type model. Because that well that that's basically going to nudge them into some type of plan, probably. Other exactly. otherwise, they're not interested, and they're probably not the right customer. Yep. No, yeah. that's, I think that's exactly the case. So, oh, great, um, great stuff. answer, great, great, great advice. Uh, that was good. Uh, well, BJ, thank you so much for that, for that question, folks. Keep them coming at hashtag AskTSOE. And Ed, here's an interesting line, and I'm sure you've heard it from before from Doctor Edward Demings. <laughs> Over 97 percent of the events that affect a company. A company's results are not measurable, <laughs> while less than three percent of what influences final results can be measured. That's mm-hmm. that's that's a phenomenal statement if you think about it. And and then here's what H. Thomas Johnson says in Profit Beyond Measure to back this up. Uh, so I'm, uh, this is just a couple lines, but he says accounting measures are unable to penetrate the organic multifaceted union between customer and company that ultimately is the source of a company's financial results. Because cost and profit are not objects, but are properties that emerge from relationships, quantitative measures can only describe them. They cannot explain them. And I, <laughs> Okay, I, just, I, just like let that I, sink in for a while. I, I, I know that's really profound and you really have to think about that and then you have to wrestle with it for a while. But when you when you think about that, that that's profound. He he gives the example, it's the difference between autopsying a dolphin and swimming with one. <laughs> and and you know it, it, it's a profound point. And then Peter Drucker, who probably writes it a little bit clearer, says, "I do not believe that one can manage a business by reports. I'm a figures man and a quantifier, and one of those people to whom figures talks." But you know, he says that is all right if if we uh, have to have a. He said one must spend a great te- deal of time on the outside where the results are, because inside we only have costs. So he always said, you know, look out the window, go outside. And I, that, that's kind of the whole point beyond profit, beyond measure, that this is a organic living system, a business, and, and it's interdependent. And you don't maximize profit overall by maximizing the profit of each, you know, each unit or each uh, silo, each section, whatever. You have to look at it as an interdependent system. 
And, and that's just absolutely profound. And cost accounting, I think, interferes with that. The mentality of cost accounting interferes with it because it atomizes everything. My God, Ron. I mean, it, when you really begin to analyze this, you start to realize that you, you, you really, in a sense, you, you could really simplify your chart of accounts, couldn't you? Right? <laughs> well, yeah. You, know. you, just, you basically just need revenue, cost. Well, you know, how smart was Jules Goddard in our interview with him, I think back in January or February, and folks, you know, go listen to that again, because it's just profound, when he said, take a look at the average company's chart of accounts and look how many expense categories we have, and then we have one line for revenue. He said, we should be a lot more concerned about where and how the revenue comes from <laughs> than, than breaking out all these costs. Yeah. And he's absolutely right. And, and Ed, what's really funny is Henry Ford understood this. You know, he, he wrote in his autobiography, My Life and Work, in 1922 that he said, you know, businesses start with the manufacturing process. But he said, isn't that nonsense? What if you make something the customer can't afford? So he said, our policy is to reduce the price. Now, of course, you know, he wanted to get the price down because he wanted to put a car in every garage. And I, I'm, I'm, that's a different strategy than what we uh, most of the time, you know, advise. But he says, but we do not bother about the cost because the price forces the cost down. Because in the long run, all costs are avoidable if you mm -hmm. think about it. And he, and then, of course, his great line that no one knows what a cost ought to be. So, he, you know, he learned that you start with the process and, and, and then that, that will drive the cost down. And this is exactly what Toyota is doing with their system of target costing and the Toyota production system. And if you do that, then you don't need to spend all of these resources on a standard cost accounting system or these just unbelievable ABC product uh, projects that, that companies undertake. Yeah. Yeah, here's what I fear though, Ron, is you know, you said that about that we that we should be looking at, at, at well, this was Jules Goddard that we should be looking more at our uh, different revenue categories. I I fear that what they would do is they would add they would do both, right? <laughs> be, you know, they're like okay, now we're going to analyze to death the revenue uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, wow. That, it, it, you really, really, if you, if you do think about it, you could get down to just a very simple flow. And in the end, I guess it doesn't matter. And, hey, by the way, a quick shout out, Ron. We do have somebody who's following along on Twitter or listening to us live, and that is uh, Laurie. And he, he, uh, he just tweeted that, going back to something you said earlier, the only cost that matters is the total cost of the system. Focus on yield. Brilliant. So thanks, thanks Laurie, for follow <laughs> thanks, Laurie. following along. Yep. <laughs> and, Ed, the other thing, and I just thought this was really interesting, too, Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, the, the founders of no, uh, Ben and Jerry's. Yes, they wrote an essay in 1997, and they talked about their early years, and they were just breaking even uh, in their early years, and they said, well, you know, um, Ben's dad, by the way, Ben Cohen's dad was an accountant, and he said, well, why don't you guys raise your prices? And they said, no, no, this is ice cream for the people, you know, we don't want it just to be some elitist treat. Uh, it's obvious that we're overscooping, we're wasting ice cream, our labor costs are too high, we're lousy with scheduling, you know, we don't run, run our business efficiency efficiently enough. So they were focused on the inside going, how can we cut costs, how can we cut costs? And the right. dad looked at him and he said, and this is from an accountant, mm -hmm. and he says, you guys have to understand, that's human that's as good as people do. You can't price for doing everything exactly right. Raise your prices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they did. 
<laughs> and yep. of course, the rest is history. And and that you know, coming from an accountant, that's profound. I want to say, physician, heal thyself. Yeah, but it. But isn't it interesting, though, Ron, that we still have conversations like this with professionals all of the time? I mean, that that they don't see it as a pricing problem. They see it as an efficiency or cost problem inside their organizations. And it, and, and it's and it's really not. They just but but they keep coming. There's if we could just better break this down, if we could just get a better understanding of our costs. And, and I and oftentimes I keep thinking you're ridiculous. You, you're just not pricing well. Um, and when they come back, as they said, well, this is what the market will bear, Russell. Then you're not differentiating yourself. Then you're, or, and this is the really tough love portion of the conversation that I sometimes has. Or, sorry to tell you this, but what you're doing is not creating value. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the market will pay you what what you think you're worth. <laughs> and yeah, I, it's it's unbelievable. I just had an email uh, um, today on that. Uh, the guy said, you know, I need my timesheets to know my, my cost allocations, my resources, uh, what I put into something. And I'm like, no, really, it doesn't give you any information. What matters is the value that you're creating for your customer. And of course, Ed, that's the other problem with cop- cost accounting is it, it, it's got two essential problems. One, um, you, you know, if you expand your costs, you supposedly could increase your revenue. That's kind of insane if you think about it. But the other one is it doesn't tell you if you're leaving money on the table. It doesn't tell you uh, if you could have charged more because it, it's silent with respect to value to the customer. People like to argue with me, but it's my opportunity cost. Well, cost accounting has nothing to do with opportunity cost. Yeah. And, and opportunity cost doesn't have anything to do with value to the customer. You know, that's an economic notion. It's not a cost accounting notion. So, uh, you know, I, I look at all these things and I think, geez, it's just still, it's so endemic. And, and maybe when we come back from our break, Ed, we'll, we'll talk about how this how how to put this all together and i think in a, in a, one of the greatest case studies around from disney um and and it shows the perils of cost accounting but folks until then uh, we need to hear from our sponsor and ed's employer sage Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You 
were tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. It is said that Oscar Wilde said uh, a, a cynic is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. <laughs> and I, 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 I think that we're, we're, he, he, he could have been targeting that specifically at cost accountants, Ron, um, because what they, 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 they do know that we're really the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. And it, it really is scary when you think about it, how much, how much resources are spent on uh, divvying all of these costs up. And it really doesn't do anything to improve the customer spirit experience in the slightest because it, it's just a, a rehashing of what's already been, of what's already happened. And it's great companies uh, like uh, Disney and Apple, I think, that look at externally at their customer experience on the outside and can change profitability, not overnight, but, but, but in, in a relatively short period of time by just ignoring what traditional cost accountants would say. And you've got a, a great story, and this is, comes to us from our friend uh, Kirk Bowman, who does a podcast called The Art of Value, right? Right, Art, Art of Value, Kirk, and he uh, interviewed Joni Newkirk, who we're going to get on the show too, Ed. She was the former pricer for Walt Disney World for Orlando, Florida. And they developed this concept in 2003 called uh, The Making of Magic Your Way. And they basically re-engineered the pricing for a, a family vacation to Walt Disney World. Now that included repricing the tickets, you know, and the entering fee and all of that. But they looked at it from the customer standpoint. They tried to look at the entire experience from, you know, family four or five. What do they typically do? They fly into Orlando, they rent a car, right? So they tried to make it a better experience. And that's when they came up with the food package idea of bundling in food. So you could buy different food packages, eat at various t- classes of restaurants, and it would all be included. And they they redid all this, and they came up with the idea of the ex- Magic Express, I think it's called, where you know they have shuttle buses from the airport to take you right to your hotel to Disney, but they also pick up your luggage at the airport. And so that was a big part of it. So that increased their cost, no doubt about it. They had to get shuttle buses and all of that. But because of it t- took away the cost of renting a car f- and the parking charge for the it was more valuable to the customer but what was fascinating ed was that she because she lowered the price of the bundled food plans you know i don't know parent, adults eat at 30 bucks a day kids at 10 bucks a day or something and that even varies by month of month of year um the, the food and beverage silo at Disney World said, that'll kill our P&L. That'll absolutely, you know, looking at DuPont's ROI, right? Mm, yep, and she yep. said, don't worry about your P&L. Pricing department is now responsible for P&L. She didn't care about each silo's profit. She cared about the profit overall of the company. Well, they implemented this plan in 2005. And, and I'll, say, I'll say this was a big risk. Um, they didn't really know how it was going to go. That they, they planned it. They have all their models. But it drove a 20% increase in bottom line profit in the first year and double-digit profit increases thereafter. <laughs> and it, it was because she looked, at the, she looked at the experience from the customer standpoint, started with value, and worked backwards. And so some of the silos, of course, 
you know, yeah, their profit's going to go down because their revenue allocation or whatever would be less. But it didn't. That doesn't matter. What matters is overall profit, right? And that's that's I think one of the perils of cost accounting. And and like you said about Oscar Wilde, you know, the, the cynic knows the cost of everything, the value of nothing. It, it's even worse than that. The cynic only knows the historical cost of something. <laughs> he doesn't even know the future cost. But also another way to indict cost accounting and even ABC, you can spend all this time doing these things. But they don't improve future performance at all. And, and, and I think you're better off taking the resources and investing them into after-action reviews. And that's what basically Toyota's doing in their target costing and their to- Toyota production system. So rather than spending all this time on standard cost accounting allocations, they're actually learning how to improve future performance. And that's what's driving profitability overall. Well, the, but the challenge for this, Ron, is is, is when you begin to and to be a you know use a, a terse for it, the peel the onion on this, right? A cliche, uh, but it really means in in mo- many organizations completely changing even the compensation system. Because how many people do you know of, especially in large organizations, you know, a good part of their comp model is is based. On the profitability of their, you know, business unit, cost center, profit center, division. I mean, go through the litany of, of uh, region, however you want to call it. And you know, they're heavily reliant on these cost accountants to get that stuff right, or as as right as it possibly can. So you get all of these resources being plowed into understanding that, so that people's compensation models can be uh, properly calculated, but. You're you're actually causing harm to the overall organization by doing so. I mean, this is this is what classic example of hey, yes, you can become more efficient at at that stuff, and you can get better at the cost accounting side. But if it's the wrong thing in the first place, you're just making the situation worse. That's so true. I mean, and and the other thing, Ed, is you know, you have all these P P and Ls and all these silos. So you have you know corporate allocating their H headquarters, you know, fixed costs out to the different silos. Well, then people start to game that system, and there's all sorts of resources wasted on these mental games um, to 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 make your P and L silo look better. And nobody's looking at the system overall. It'd be like it'd be like if you had ten doctors just dealing with one part of your body. You know, you've got the nephrologist taking care of your kidney and the cardiologist taking care of your heart, and and nobody's thinking about your overall health. They're just looking at their one part, and that's the problem with all of this. And the Dupont ROI kind of started it, and it's just absolutely endemic, and and it's really hard to combat. Yeah, and and because I think that as I think about this to a certain extent, pe- people who are have grown up in this model and only understand this model uh, will will say things like, "Well, you know, don't change my comp plan to be based on on corporate profits because I I I can't influence co- corporate profits. I might be able to influence you know my local again business unit product line whatever whatever your the co- cost center whatever wherever it's called in your organization." 
But the reality is, is that what that is, is, you, okay, so you're basically saying that you will then be better at gaming the system locally rather than globally. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at one point, Hollywood owned the actors, right? They had them under contract back in, what, the 30s, even earlier, you know, probably up to the 50s until they went and they started going independent. And the actors learned that they can't take a percentage of net because any first-year accounting student can manipulate net income, mm-hmm. right? just by different cost allocations. So what they took was a percentage of the, the movie's gross, of course. And, right. you know, that's just, that's in defiance, basically, of cost accounting. Uh, and it, it just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. You know, James Dyson, the guy who invented, what is it, the Dyson vacuum? He said, yep. innovation requires builders, not bean counters. And the last person who should be running something is the man who controls the costs. Sure, you need that man in there somewhere to keep a rein on things, but he shouldn't be at the top. And I think, unfortunately, cost accounting is too far up. I didn't say that, folks. The, the former cost accountant <laughs> did. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll post all on this ed, on the show notes and everything and put some interesting resources up including the uh the study from uh, disney but what's on store for next week well ron next week we have one of our free rider fridays coming up so i'm really looking forward to that oh fantastic do i have some great stuff in my stack for that i'm looking forward to it i'll see you in 167 hours This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business to the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.